your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, 19. Paul says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. A few days ago, I wrote an article about this verse, and ever since then, I just can't stop thinking about it. And really, that's nothing new because I've been, I've been thinking about this verse ever since I started preaching 53 years ago. In one of those Morning Manna articles, I told the story about how I basically became familiar with this verse and uh, a business owner in Springfield, Missouri gave me a little copy of, of uh, Faith's Checkbook by Charles Spurgeon and, uh, and I'll never forget reading that little book and falling in love with it and Spurgeon's comments on this particular verse. And ever since that day, I have absolutely loved this verse and as I've said so many times, Words cannot explain how how awesome it is to have the assurance afforded by a by a verse like this, and and that's why I never get tired of talking about it. I've studied it over and over again. I've taught it on many occasions, taking one word at a time, going through it. I've taken one phrase at a time. I've I've done everything that I knew trying to just drain it of every detail that I could get from it. But today, I want to take a different approach. I, I don't want to be so technical. I, I just want you to get the big picture related to this verse. And I want it to, I want it to be personal. And so uh, you can call it a fireside chat or whatever you want because I'm not going to have three points and a poem. I'm not going to have any kind of an outline to follow, but I just want to I just want to chat with you for a bit. Here's a question that we need to think about. Can a Christian be confident that all of his needs will be supplied? Now, think about that a little while. Can a Christian really be confident that all of his needs will be supplied? Well, Naturally, based on their experiences, there are going to be some people say, well, no, I'm a Christian and uh, I haven't had all of my needs supplied, so the answer is no. Uh, based on uh, maybe education, that is what others have told them, there are going to be those that would say, well, you know, it's really doubtful. Others, by their own estimation, might say, well, maybe. But for the Christian, for the Christian, the answer has got to be yes. We might not be confident, but we could be confident that our needs would be supplied. And the question is, does that, does that really interest you this morning as to whether your needs are supplied or not? Now, whether you're interested or not, let me tell you that God is interested in your needs. And because He is interested, we ought to be interested. If it's the desire of your heart to please God, it's not 
a selfish thing to ask for your needs to be met. I remember as a young preacher, and uh, we'd naturally always have prayer requests, pray about this, pray about that. But the one thing that as a young preacher that I just refused to mention was pray for me. I, for whatever silly reason, I thought, you know, it would be something bad if I, you know, if I asked the church to pray for me. Well, it didn't take long of getting beat up in the ministry before I realized I better be asking folks to pray for me because I was in desperate need of it. It's not selfish to ask people to pray for you. Our ability to serve God depends upon certain needs being met. Right? Think about it. Our ability to serve God depends upon whether or not certain needs are met in our life because we sure couldn't serve God acceptably without God meeting those needs. When God called me to preach, I thought, boy, if God ever made a mistake, he just, he just did it. He dropped the ball at half court. He has really made a mistake because I'm the kid, you know, that, that told the teacher I wouldn't give an oral book report. And she said, well, you'll get a failing grade. And I told her, you do what you got to do. But I'm not standing up in front of the class giving a book report. And so she gave me a D minus and I made it through uh, all right. But, uh, but anyway, we need, we need what only God can provide if we're going to, if we're going to be able to serve Him. So let's just think about this verse. Uh, how many different kinds of needs can you think of? Now, we'll just take 10 seconds, okay, because we could go on for an hour, couldn't we? How many different needs, I'm talking about in your life, how many needs can you think of? We'll talk more about that later. I just want to get your mind in gear and thinking about the particular needs that you might have in your life. Now, the truth be told, I suspect that there are those that are very much aware of a certain need in their life. And they can quote this verse. As soon as I said Philippians 4.19 there, some of you could have quoted that word for word. And so you know the verse, you know what the need is, and yet you're worried sick as to whether or not that need is going to be met. It's easy to, you know, it's easy to quote the 23rd Psalm. It's easy to quote verses like this. But it's another thing to put it into shoe leather and make it a practical value in our life. And, and I, I just pray that before you leave here this morning that, that you'll realize that we can have the assurance that God will sufficiently supply our needs. So let's look at some facts related to this verse. The first thing that we notice is that it was written by... The Apostle Paul. I don't know about you, but just the mention of his name tells me a lot. It reminds me of what happened back in Acts chapter number 9. Here is Saul of Tarsus. I mean, boy, here is a, here is a proud Pharisee. I mean, here is a religious man. He has a good reputation. Here is a man that really thinks that spiritually he's got it all together and yet he's lost as a goose. And it was there on the road to Damascus that God awakened him and revealed to him his great need of salvation. 
And, and he trusted the Lord right there on the spot. And his question was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And so just thinking about Paul and all of the experiences, all of the things that he went through, the suffering in all of his travels and the great way that God used him, just knowing that, that Paul wrote this verse makes it interesting to me. But remember, although he is writing this verse, it's the Holy Spirit who is dictating this verse. It's the Holy Spirit that's telling him, this is what I want you to tell them. And don't forget this. The Holy Spirit is wanting him to relate something to that church that was out of the depths of his own experience. Paul could have quoted verses from the Old Testament that basically say the same thing. Paul could have told about somebody else and what he had learned from them, but the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to speak out of the depth of your own experiences. So when Paul wrote this, he's not just writing something in theory, he's telling you what worked for him. He's giving you practical advice that he has put to the test, that he has proven over and over. So it's written by Paul, but it was written by Paul, remember, when he was in prison. He mentions that back in chapter 1 in verse 7 and verse number 13. He is in prison. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this matter and a lot of things that we don't know about uh, his imprisonment there. But there's some things that we know for sure. He's in prison and he's chained to a guard, that is to a Roman soldier. And uh, that must have been interesting, don't you think? Interesting for that Roman soldier. Can you imagine what the conversation would have been like? Here's some heathen Roman soldier. He gets his assignment for the day, and he is to sit there in the dungeon with a fellow by the name of Paul, chained to him. And Paul kind of liked to talk about Jesus, didn't he? Can you imagine the conversation? Boy, I'd like to have been a little bird, you know, listening to that. And by the way, in case you didn't know it, there were many there in the prison and the palace, many there that were saved as a result of Paul's witness in the prison. That's why he said, those things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. So rather than being bitter and angry about it, Paul was taking advantage of that opportunity to tell others about Jesus while he was in prison. It's the opinion of most scholars that this prison, this particular prison, was under the palace, that is beneath the throne. Remember, the throne is where Nero, the Caesar, is sitting. So up on the throne, you have Caesar. Down below, there in the dungeon, you have Paul, the man of God, chained to a Roman soldier. I wonder, I wonder who was the happiest. Think about that. One is a king on a throne. He can snap his finger and... And just command armies. 
He can call His servants and have anything that He desires brought to Him. And the other fellows down there in the dungeon chained to a soldier. Who would be the happiest? I vote for Paul. I'm convinced that Paul was far happier than Nero was. And if you'll study history, you'll know that is exactly the truth. Because in verse number 11, it tells us that Paul was content. Remember, he's in prison. He's writing this. And he says in verse number 11, I'm content. And in verse 10, he said he was rejoicing. What would you have been doing? You're in prison, chained to a guard. Would you be content? Would you be rejoicing? Let's think about it for a minute. If you're here and you think, well, you've got it good, that is that you don't really have any needs, let me ask you, how are you doing with this matter of contentment? Okay, I mean, can you really honestly say, I, I am perfectly content? You know, the more I think about it, I'm not sure I ever met a contented person. I mean, not someone that was content for very long. And the Bible commands us to be content, and yet some way or another we're satisfied not being content. And we act like we have no spiritual problem whatsoever. We hear sermons about it and Sunday school lessons about it and we read it in the Bible and then we walk out the door like, oh, well, I haven't robbed a bank or killed anybody lately, so everything's okay. When all of the time we're violating God's command, it says that we are to be content. Having food and remnant, let us be content, the Bible says. Could you really could you really do that? Do you really do that? Are you really content? Well, Paul was and he was rejoicing. So if you think you've really got it good and that you don't have any needs, just stop and think for a moment whether you have a need for contentment or not. And if you're here and you think that you've really got it bad, just put yourself in Paul's sandals. He had it worse than you think, by the way. We think about prisons today, and let me tell you, the prisons today have more comforts than the average home had in those days. The prisons in those days were more horrible than you can imagine, and that's where this man of God is. He is in prison. But there's a bright light. And that is in verse 18, we read that a fellow by the name of Epaphroditus comes to visit Paul. Might be interesting if you would later on look at the map and locate where Rome was and find out where Philippi was and see what a journey this man made so he could visit his friend there in prison. He cared enough about Paul that he made that trip all the way to Rome just so he could visit him. And I can almost guarantee you that when he left, he had no real assurance that he would get there, number one, or any assurance that when he got there that he would even be able to 
to visit with Paul. But he did. And he brought a gift. Does it describe exactly what it was? It certainly wasn't anything that we would consider, you know, considerable. I'm going to imagine they'd let him have something that would be impressive to us. But here is Paul in prison, so he can't work. That is, he can't make tents. He's in prison. He can't walk the streets and beg for food. He has to just take whatever they give him. But God found a way to supply his need there in prison, and Paul was thankful for that. In fact, it was out of his gratitude that he wrote this letter, and that's that's what he tells us when you go back to chapter 1. Out of the great gratitude of his heart for what God had done, he is writing this letter basically to thank that church there. I love what Dr. W.A. Criswell said many years ago. He said, it takes so little to make a good man glad. He went on to say, some of our people would grumble and find fault over a sumptuous banquet of the choicest dainties. But this man in prison is filled with gratitude to God over an humble dinner of herbs. He's happy. What a different man Paul was. And yet, being the man he was, he's the model that we need. So here is Paul. He's in prison and he's visited by a friend by the name of Epaphroditus. But notice that he is ministered to by the church that is in Philippi. Epaphroditus is being sent, as it were, by that church. In other words, God used it, the church, as a means to minister to Paul while he's in prison. As a church, we need to remember that. That we have an obligation to minister to others, especially, the Bible says, to God's people. Do good unto all men, but especially unto those of the household of faith. So this is a church sending a man all this way to minister to not not a big crusade of thousands, but to minister to just one man. When I think about that, I, I, I can't help but wonder who made the motion to do that. You know, it's a Baptist church. Some of you will get that later. Baptist in in their beliefs anyway. Amen? And uh, so the church as a whole decided they're going to do this, but surely the idea had to come from someone. I wonder who. Was it Epaphroditus? Might have been whenever you read. Well, just turn back a page to chapter 2, and I want you to... I want you to read a part of what Paul says about this man. Now remember chapter 2, he's talking about us having the mind of Christ, us humbling ourselves and becoming a servant. And he uses two people as examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says in verse 25, Yet I suppose it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, 
and fellow soldier, but your messenger that he and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Could it have been Epaphroditus that said, I think this is what we ought to do? It might have been, I don't know. It might have been Lydia. Remember, she was the first convert in that part of the world whenever Paul went there and found a group of women down by the riverside. They're down there praying, but they don't know who they're praying to because they don't know God. And Paul preached the gospel and Lydia was saved. Might have been her. That would have fit. It might have been the jailer. The, remember the Philippian jailer when Paul and Silas was in prison right after the conversion of Lydia? They are in prison. And at midnight, what are they doing? Moaning and groaning? No. They're praying and singing praises to God. And that's where the jailhouse rock began because God shook the prison and God loosened the prisoners and the jailer was scared to death and he ran in and fell down and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing that you would do today to be saved. Believe. Nothing about church membership, baptism, or anything else. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And your household works the same way for them. So it might have been this jailer that said, I'll never forget the night that I come to know Christ as my Savior. I believe we ought to send somebody to Rome so that Paul will know we haven't forgotten about him. But the main thing is that it pleased God. Look in verse number 18 of chapter 4. Paul says, but I have all and abound. Huh? What? Are you kidding me? You're in prison. You're chained to a guard. And yet he says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Now get this. An odor of a sweet smell and a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That's the most important thing about this. And the question is, are you pleasing Him? God was pleased. Now, I'm sure that Paul was pleased. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure the pastor of that church was pleased. I'm sure that he was proud to be the pastor of a church that cared so much for God's people. But the fact that God was pleased with it is the thing that mattered the most. And that is what prompted this promise. 
the promise that we just read here in verse 19, but my God shall supply some of your needs. No, no. My God shall supply all your need. As I keep saying, I don't have words to describe how much that promise means to me. I never get tired of talking about it. It reminds me of some people that I, that I find in the Bible. You just look back in the Bible and see person after person who was in great need, and yet out of the depths of their need, God responded and God supplied whatever it was they needed. So I'm reminded of all of those folks, but it also reminds me of many testimonies that I've heard from others. I guess, you know, churches say we've just really gotten away from what the old-time testimony meetings, you know. We just, anybody got a testimony and we, you know, sometimes take 30 minutes, just one after another, giving a testimony of what God had been doing in their life. They don't do that much anymore, but isn't it wonderful to hear somebody give a testimony talking about the situation that they were in and that how that they prayed and asked others to pray for them and then turn around and say, you know what, God answered our prayers. Let me tell you what God did in my life. And so when I read this verse, it reminds me of some of those testimonies, but more than that, it reminds me of numerous experiences. Really, Bev could preach this point of the message probably better than I. Because when we think back over all of these many years of ministry and think about the times that we, that we had different needs and how that God responded and supplied every one of those needs. And let me tell you, sometimes, you know, it can get really scary as to whether our needs are going to get met or not. But when I read this verse, it does something else because I could reminisce for the next hour or two just talking about those experiences. But more importantly is that when I read this, it makes me think about you and your needs, whatever they are. It makes me think about your needs. What are your needs? Are they temporal you know, needs that are common to man, are they spiritual? I, I, I don't know, but, but it, it compels me to appeal to you. Begging might really be a better word, because I don't want you to leave here today without the assurance in your heart that God will meet your needs. I, I would be unfit as a pastor if I could just preach this and not care whether your needs are met or not. And preachers do that sometimes. They become so disappointed and so discouraged. They take a, a take it or leave it attitude that here it is. I'm going to throw it out there. This is the truth. Now you do with it whatever you will. I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to out back and eat a steak. It's easy. That's why you need to pray for pastors because it's easy to develop an attitude like that to protect yourself against discouragement. But it's wrong. Because the moment that we stop caring about whether people respond or not, we're done whether we realize it or not. I don't want you to deprive yourself. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to hurt others. And there are too many times that 
our spiritual needs and so forth go unmet, not because they must, but because we refuse to do what's necessary to receive those needs from God. And, and that just compounds the problem. That makes it worse than it was. So when you ignore your needs, you're not only hurting yourself, you are ignoring God. In other words, you're refusing to do what would be pleasing to Him. So don't blame Him. Because He's ready and has a desire to bless His people. Now, i got just one other thing I want to say. And that is that, and this is going to sound odd to some of you, we need needs. We need needs. Maybe you've said to yourself, or you know, you thought to yourself, I wish I didn't have any needs. Well, that sounds good, right? I, I wish I didn't have any needs. It seems like every time I turn around, I'm needing something that I don't have. But if we didn't have any needs, we would never see our need of God. And the things that God can do. It's because of those needs that I am aware that I need help. In other words, I'm simply trying to say that when we have a need, it gives both us and God an opportunity. It gives God an opportunity to show what He can do, and it gives us an opportunity to see what God can do. Did you know God's looking for opportunities? A few weeks ago, I had an article in Morning Man based on 2 Chronicles 16.9. Listen to this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord... run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. His eyes run to and fro. God's looking everywhere. What's he looking for? He's looking for an opportunity. That opportunity, notice, is to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Did you know God wants you to see your needs as opportunities? Really. Whenever you have a need, God wants you to think about that not as a problem, but as an opportunity. In other words, He wants you to turn to Him for help so He can show you what He can do. And that's why Jeremiah 33.3, God says, Call upon Me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God's desire is to give us our desires when those desires do not conflict with His will. And it's because that we are a needy people that we're able to see the greatness of God. You see, both the nature and the number of our needs are many. And if we truly believe that God is sovereign, do you believe that? That God is sovereign. That in other, words, in other words, by that I mean that God both has the authority and the ability to do whatever He wants to do. He has the right to do that. 
and the ability to do that. He's a sovereign God. And so if we really believe that, and woe is unto us if we don't, but if we really believe that, then we have to believe that everything that happens in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything is either appointed by God or allowed by God. Maybe you've heard someone ask, well, why did God allow sin to enter into the world? Why, why wouldn't God make us so that we wouldn't sin? Well, I don't have all of the answers, but I do know this much. I do know that if God had not done so, remember God created man in his own image. If God had not done so, we could never know his love. You wouldn't know anything about the love of God if, if you had been in a state of perfection. You'd never know anything about His love, His goodness, His grace. We couldn't know anything about that. Here's the problem, and I'll try to, I'll try to be brief. Sometimes we have needs that, that we don't see. In other words, needs that we're not even aware of. Sometimes other people see those needs in our life before we do. That's why we could ask our spouse or our children or, you know, our neighbor or co-worker. We could ask them and if they'd be honest, they'd say, oh yeah, you need this and you need that. Well, we don't see it, but, but they see it. It shows up. And the good news is that God knows what you don't. Amen. He knows what you don't about you. Because if it's just left up to us, you know, it's easy for us to draw the conclusion, hey, I'm, I, I got it all together, man. I'm just fine. God comes along and says, oh, I, I want to show you something. You see, God not only knows what you don't, but God's willing to tell you. In other words, God's willing and desires to reveal to us the needs of our life. And so what we need to do is turn to Him. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, God, show me those things that are displeasing. Show me those needs in my life that I've not been aware of. We need to turn to Him, and then we need to trust Him. And I think if we're honest, we all have to admit this. Let's not kid ourselves. We all have needs that we are very much aware of. So what's the nature of your need this morning? In other words, does your need relate to supplies, for example? You, there's a shortage and you need supplies. Whether it's food, clothing, or wh whatever it is, the, the bank account is depleted. I mean, your money is all gone and you're... You're in trouble financially and you need help. That's a legitimate need. A lot of people find themselves there. It might be that your need relates to, the, to suffering. Boy, if we, if we could just take a survey and go through the, the room right now and call on each one and say, look, now, if you're going to speak, you've got to be 100% honest. How do you really feel? <laughs> Boy, it'd all be 
trying the blues, wouldn't we? We got people here that are suffering. They come to church every week suffering. They go home suffering. They live all week suffering. It's a need in their life, suffering. That it's sooner or later some of you young people are thinking, What? Well, you just wait. Yeah, your day's coming. It might be that your need relates to sorrow. Sorrow that could be caused by 40, 11 different things. I don't know. Sorrow that's caused by some great loss in your life. Sorrow that's caused by, you know, something else. But boy, that can be a real serious need in a person's life when they're consumed with sorrow. It might be strife. Maybe domestic strife, maybe it's something vocationally that is, you know, on the job or wherever it is, but strife and, boy, it just tears you apart inside to, to have to face that strife. It might be a matter of safety. So what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, might be a matter that you're threatened by someone. Sometimes we forget about these single mothers that have, you know, made the mistake of marrying some complete idiot that's now a threat to their well-being in life. And there are people that are concerned for their own safety. It might be the matter of, might be the matter of being satisfied. Just satisfaction. That is contentment. Does your problem relate to that? You know, because it might be that, you, you know, you're here and you say, Man, I, it doesn't make any difference how much I get. I always want more. I'm never satisfied, never content with anything in life. Well, that's a real problem. It's a real genuine need in your life. Maybe your problem... Now, hang on, I promise I'm almost through. Maybe your problem, your need, relates to sin... Because you see, sometimes there are needs that we just don't want to think about or deal with. And that just makes it worse. Because if your need relates to some sin in your life, it can have an effect on everything else I just mentioned there. Are you with me? Think about that. So many times we look at all of these other things, the matter of supply or suffering or sorrow or strife and all of these other things, we look at that, and we think that a problem that is totally separated from anything else when in reality the very root cause of that problem is some sin that's in our life. We don't want to deal with that sin and we're not going to solve that problem and get that need met until we get honest about the fact that, oh dear God, I'm so sorry I'm so sorry, forgive me of this sin in my heart. It affects us. It might be that your need relates to the matter of salvation. And this, look, this is the key to, to everything else we've been talking about. Because whenever, when this need is met, it's the key to God being able to meet all of those other needs in our life. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you doing your very best to live for Him, to please Him, to do what you know is the will of God? 
Now remember, we come to God on His terms, not ours. We can't dictate to God how we're going to come to Him. And He's made it very clear that for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you're here today and you're unsaved or you're here today and you have some need that I've mentioned or something I haven't even thought of, why would you say no when God is saying yes? Why would you say no when God is saying yes? Paul said, but my God, my God shall, that's emphatic, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is saying yes. God is saying, I want to meet those needs in your life. Why would we say no to God when He says yes? Are you being honest? Are you being honest about the need in your life? Because it might be you're all hung up on some peripheral need over here. Something really bothering you. It's a burr under your saddle and you can't sleep at night about it or whatever. Whenever the real need is something much greater than that. If you want to solve the one, you've got to deal with the other. Don't leave here. Don't leave here without the assurance that God's going to take care of that need in your life. If that's where you are, you need to get on your knees and you need to camp out right there and say, Lord, I'm going to stay right here. They can have the benediction and go home and eat supper or whatever, but I'm going to camp out right here until I know that I've made my heart right with you and I've given you an open door to do whatever you want to do in my life. Would you do that this morning as we stand together? Our Father and our God again, we thank you for the riches of your grace. How we thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that are so cleverly disguised as as needs that things that we think when we've got a problem is actually the solution if we would just deal with it. God help us this morning to be honest about ourselves. May you speak to us by your Holy Spirit and reveal to us those inconsistencies in our life, those things that are unpleasing to you. May we not think about the faults of anybody else, but may we think about our needs and how they relate to our relationship with you. And especially, I pray that you'll save the soul that's nearest hell. And Lord, that you'll help your people this morning. Help us. Help us. Dear Lord, to be everything you would have us to be, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, while we